0: welcome to feed the feminine a podcast dedicated to reviving archetypal feminine qualities in a masculine dominated culture i'm your host vanessa Ducato, a psychotherapist and writer empowering clients and readers to nourish their feminine while also repairing what's been damaged in its long-standing cultural repression Join me each episode as we talk about the archetypes present in how we eat, express, and relate, and what we can do to find meaning and reach balance. On this episode, I am discussing the feminine shadow and the ways in which the archetypal feminine can be violent, and all sorts of juicy ways that impacts intimate and communal relationships. Before we dive in, a quick disclaimer. The information provided here is intended to give a general information only and does not intend to replace or infer a proper psychological diagnosis. No therapist-client relationship is implied or actualized through any contact with this podcast, website, or its creators unless formally agreed upon in a proper clinical setting. And now without further ado, here's this week's episode of the Feed the Feminine podcast. So first, let me say that when I conceptualized this episode, which now has turned into two parts. I was excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, the feminine shadow. What I did not anticipate was that this episode would take me four weeks longer to produce than I had originally planned because my own feminine shadow qualities were essentially playing a game of hide and seek with me this whole time. There was a little bit of trickster energy that arose from my feminine shadow as I started to put the spotlight on her. And uh, as a result, I've had a weird month. <laughs> uh, and let me just say that this is the tip of the iceberg. I think we need to be having a lot of conversations about the feminine shadow. So maybe consider this an introduction. There's going to be a lot more to discuss. And I welcome any questions that you have, general inquiries that you might have about this, which you can submit to me via DM on Instagram at the hungry feminine or at the at gmail.com. I want to say settle in. I want to say this is going to be a long and trialed journey, these two episodes, Uh, and I'm excited for it. I also want to note that there is a whole spectrum of feminine shadow manifestations. All are not created equally. While a lot of the behaviors that could stem from feminine shadow qualities are going to have a certain ring to them, this is not meant to pathologize or demonize. Throughout this episode, you may hear behaviors of your own you may recognize behaviors of somebody that you love. There need not be any fault or blame interpreted from what I'll share on this topic. Um, be kind to yourself. It's, it's possible that you might feel some resentment of yourself when you spot your feminine shadow, resentment for how it asks you to behave. I have certainly experienced that. I think that's part of why creating this episode was so challenging for me. Uh, it's also possible that you might feel a little bit resentful of somebody else when you spot their feminine shadow uh, and how it has impacted you in your relationship with them. So as with every episode, I just ask that you bring curiosity and self-compassion to the table because that really uh, can enhance the learning experience. I also suggest that you don't weaponize this information against anybody in your life. I think um, because the feminine is unseen and intangible, We interact with it differently than we interact with the masculine. And so it's easier to gaslight people with accusations of feminine shadow because it can't be proven as easily as masculine behavior. So please use this information to better understand yourself, not necessarily as a tool against someone else. And if you have to bring your realizations to therapy to dig in and do the work, Godspeed. I think uh, I've actually heard a couple of people who have listened to this podcast. And what it did was it helped give them language for what then they could take to therapy and and understand a little bit more deeply. And if that's what it's doing for you, then that's awesome. And uh, I celebrate that with you. So in this two-part exploration of the feminine shadow, I'm going to start with some background information. Then I will dig into six of the more significant shadow traits of the feminine, including how they can impact your relationship with yourself and others. And then I'll discuss more context um, or give more context rather to the idea of feminine violence, which is something that I used a phrase that I used in the in the intro to this episode. I think it's important to really discuss what I mean by that. Um, and then also talk about how the feminine shadow is observed and treated in a masculine dominated culture, because that's interesting, too. So all of that broken up in these uh, two episodes. And here we go. So Uh, The feminine shadow, what do I mean when I say that? So as we've talked about in previous episodes, and as I have laid out on my blog at thehungryfeminine.com, we all have an archetypal masculine and feminine within our individual and collective unconscious, the spaces within us that begin as being unknown to us. And I often say in this space that when I use the word feminine, I'm referring to its archetypal representation, not gender. The feminine and masculine both live in all humans, regardless of gender. However, there are connections at a societal level. The connection between feminine through an archetypal lens and feminine through a gender lens is that women are unconsciously seen as representations of feminine qualities. And that makes sense because when you're talking about nurturance, vulnerability, connection, even codependency, you're very much in a mother archetype. And likewise with men and the masculine, when you think about provision and protection and structure and even aggression, you're very much in a father, father, father archetype. That doesn't mean a mother can't be dominant in her masculine and actually be the source of rules and material wealth in the family likewise a father can be dominant in his feminine and be the family source of soothing and nourishment but it's not what we think of automatically when we consider those traits there are assumptions made which have become part of our collective unconscious our way of understanding the world and having enough stability to make predictions and not feel entirely chaotic that's why we label things the way that we do that's why we have judgments the way that we do We use symbols that were inherently passed down to us at our birth to know things about life that we otherwise wouldn't be able to comprehend or that we might struggle to comprehend. It's why when we're kids, fairy tales have meaning to us even before we realize or really understand the difference between a hero and a villain. So feminine in this space has nothing to do with gender and that we all we all have archetypal feminine qualities. But it relates to gender, socially speaking, because the agreed upon assumptions we carry about the culture that we live in tell us that women tend to exhibit more feminine traits and men tend to exhibit more masculine traits. We can make that conversation conscious and decide that we want to redefine that. But for the majority of folks, it just isn't conscious. It's not conscious enough to inform that decision. And that leaves a lot of room for projection. So when we talk about the way Feminine and masculine archetypal traits are viewed in Western culture, where masculine traits are seen as strong and feminine are seen as weak. And then you consider the way men and women are treated in Western culture, where men are permissible to dominate and women are expected to be dominated. We can see how our un- our unconscious feelings toward masculine and feminine show up in our relationship to the literal representation we have of them in our life, m- men and women. This gets interesting, I think. But before I keep going, let's pause for an explanation of light and shadow traits of the feminine. So light traits or the positive traits that are more likely to be owned or celebrated include abundance, authenticity, compassion, collaboration, nurturance, creativity, imagination, intimacy, vulnerability. Shadow qualities, which are the negative qualities more likely to be disowned or despised, include apathy, codependence, being easily intimidated, resignation, judgment, passive aggression, perfectionism, and a need for control. Now for the sake of posterity, here's the same for the masculine. Light qualities include logic, groundedness, pursuit, boundaries, leadership, protection, provision, responsibility, self-control, and being solution-focused. Whereas shadow qualities include aggression, exploitation, force, greed, theft, narcissism, the pursuit of power, a narrow focus on material wealth, scarcity, and violence. So we all have the space for these traits within us, and we are more aligned with one than the other. For example, when I hear the feminine traits, light or shadow, I'm raising my hand saying, oof, that is me. That's 99% of who I am, whether I like it or not. And I'm sure you had a similar reaction to one of them maybe less extreme but maybe you saw yourself in in one of the, the the traits that i was talking about now imagine if you disown or despise the shadow qualities as they manifest in you personally in your individual life but then those same shadow qualities are also condemned by the communities and the culture in which you live there's going to be a relationship some relationship between the way you treat these things individually and the way they are treated collectively. Whether it's a direct relationship or an inverse relationship, there will be a relationship. And I've spoken before about how the feminine is repressed at a collective level in Western cultures, and I can see it clearly when I lay out those traits. I can re- I can recognize the way imagination and vulnerability are seen as like silly playthings that waste time and don't mean anything, and the way compassion makes us susceptible to being taken advantage of, or the way intimacy can be exploited for the sake of power. I think that's the way culturally we view those things. But likewise, I can hear how traits of the masculine like protection, responsibility, even shadow traits like force, greed, narcissism, and narrow focus on material wealth. I can hear how those things comprise the parts of our culture that we hold steadfast. Those are the things we get riled up about if they're threatened to be taken away from us. If somebody wants to take away our right to violence, we want to meet it with more violence so that we can defend it. We never defend our right to nurturance that way, because collectively, feminine things are seen as having no value. I posted something on Instagram recently about disowning qualities of the feminine. And to clarify upcoming terminology, this is per Carl Jung's theories in analytical psychology. uh, And the term animus refers to the unconscious archetypal masculine in women. And the term anima refers to the unconscious archetypal feminine in men. And so here is what I shared on Instagram. A woman who lives primarily in her animus and cannot tolerate her feminine qualities will be just as oppressive toward the feminine as a man who lives primarily in his masculine qualities and cannot tolerate his anima. The patriarchy serves as an indication that wholeness in this sense, our ability to integrate both masculine and feminine qualities peacefully, evades too many of us leaving the complete and fearful masculine desperate to dominate the feminine. And the feminine has a wild response to being dominated, which comes through by way of the feminine shadow, which is what we're here to discuss. But quick note on that, because I think it's important these days. So when you ask yourself how a woman could possibly be misogynistic, it's because she has rejected her own feminine, which is not that hard to believe given a culture that represses the feminine And teaches us that it's bad. So she rejects her own feminine. And therefore projects that disgust and disownment. Onto who represents the feminine. Women. So moving on from that. Now as I said earlier. Producing this episode has been a wild ride. For me. Because of my own feminine shadow. So for the sake of managing that. And even demonstrating for you. What managing that can look like. I'm going to call upon the masculine light to help me here. I'm going to take a structured approach to how I talk about these traits over the next several minutes uh, so that I don't end up in a spiral becoming overwhelmed by my emotions, changing the subject 14 times, distracting myself with some codependent interactions, and forgetting why I came into the kitchen in the first place. So in no particular order, I present to you the face, the traits of the feminine shadow. So feminine shadow trait number one, emotional overwhelm and the inability to self-regulate. So this one isn't on most of the lists that I compile about feminine shadow traits because it's sort of a blanket in all of them. It's kind of like the software running in the background that makes all of the other apps work properly. It's a little bit in all of the feminine shadow traits. So I thought we should start here. So when you struggle to regulate your emotions, the line between the emotion and reason or logic is going to become blurred and your reality will attach to the feeling. And then things will start to bubble up that feel like empirical fact. But really, they're just responses to that emotions. They're narratives based on the beliefs that are attached to that emotion. And you might even start to make it someone else's responsibility to help you regulate your emotions by changing their behavior. And so this is going to get tough in a relationship. And I would imagine that for as many of you who see these traits in yourself, there will be just as many who see them in somebody that you have a relationship with. I have both done this myself and have had it done to me. Uh, So let's put that hat on for a moment. Uh, Do you remember a time when someone else tried to make their emotions your reality? Have you ever had that experience where somebody else felt a certain way and that emotion was cast on the experience as some kind of objective reality? rather than a subjective one, where you were expected to respond a certain way because of this. Now, I want to break this one down in terms of solutions rather than the problem itself. But I think as we talk about the solutions, you're going to hear the problem itself and the ways that the feminine shadow lives within all of this. So I see this with a lot of couples that I work with. And we discuss something called I statements, which is when you take ownership of your feelings in conversation rather than blame someone else for how you feel. So for instance, Instead of saying something like, you make me so mad when you come home late without telling me, you might want to say something like, I noticed that three nights last week you came home later than I was expecting. I feel angry when I plan the night around expecting you to come home and you don't arrive. So part of the reason for, these, for, the, for this different way of presenting this information, in part, is to minimize defensiveness in conversation. The first version of that response, the you make me so mad version, it makes the other person have to fight for their stance. Their response is going to escalate things because they have to defend the idea that they could have control over your feelings. The second version, the I statement version, expresses how someone feels about it and nobody can argue with how you feel. Nobody can say, no, you don't feel angry. They can say, I didn't come home late, and you can argue about the facts of that situation, but they can't say, you don't feel angry. Your emotions are not to be evaluated by other people. So one reason um is to one reason to use this is to minimize conflict. Another reason for the I statement is to get the person with the feelings to own their feelings rather than put it on the other person while also looking at the situation a little bit more objectively. There's a bigger story here than just one person's experience of it. And that truth doesn't invalidate anybody's feelings. In fact, the feeling should be validated and addressed absolutely. But so should the other person's feelings and maybe even more the objective reality of the situation as well. In fact, what you'll notice throughout a lot of this conversation and even what I said at the top of this episode about how I was using the masculine light to help structure the feminine shadow so that it felt safer for me something similar happens in in this context of like couple communication or just relational communication where if we have a little bit of the of a masculine and feminine light Creating some safety in the situation, then the feminine shadow, if the emotions come in and they come in hot, it'll be okay because there will be some containment. But if the only thing that is there is shadow stuff, and then maybe your partner meets your shadow stuff with their shadow stuff, now everybody's in the shadow stuff and it's just going to get messy. And th- it's just defenses fighting with each other rather than the whole human. And so I think it's just good to recognize that, like, we call on the light. Traits, whether they be masculine or feminine, depending on the situation, to provide some safety, not to dismiss or condemn or eradicate the shadow, but to give the shadow a safer place to live so that it can do what it's doing without harming other people and maybe even integrate and find a healthier way of existing. So going back to this idea of just like how we communicate in relationship, um, one person's emotions do not imply fact, nor do they automatically indicate what the other person should do about it so my couples will sometimes struggle to get this at first and don't we all right this is a like a different way of communicating we're not learned or we're not taught um how to communicate we're not learned how to communicate uh we're not taught how to communicate when we're in school like that's not a class that we take in you know in grade school which is unfortunate i think that should be a class that we take in grade school so people struggle with this when they first start playing around with it and so sometimes my couples will say things like Well, I feel like you don't care about me when you don't come home on time. And they will make the you don't care about me part, the emotion. But that's not an emotion. That's an assumption based on the emotion. It's information that's implied. And it might not be wrong, but it's not a feeling, nor has it yet been determined as a fact. And it's okay to express it in this situation. You feel uncared for But the distinction between an actual emotion and your interpretation of the situation needs to be made clear. You feeling uncared for is not an emotion, but rather a hypothesis that needs to be tested and discussed, but isn't empirically true. So where we run into trouble is where someone uses the I feel thinking to override fact. Well, I feel that way, so you can't say otherwise. But if that person does in fact care about you, of course they're going to argue with the accusation that they don't. And you might want to let them. So I statements should always be structured as I feel emotion word, not I feel hypothesis about what you think is true about the situation. The alternate is just confusing fact with assumption and asking someone else to also believe your assumption to be fact, even though the other person sees things completely differently. They're having a totally different experience. So someone that imposes their emotional reality on you as fact for you to agree with, they might be experiencing an uptick in their feminine shadow. Feelings are valid, feelings are valuable, of course they are. Emotions are information, but they're not all of the information. They're not the entirety of the situation. And this is one reason I actually really appreciate DBT, which is dialectical behavior therapy. It's a therapeutic modality, a structured masculine one at that, that discusses the three states of mind that all humans have. We have our emotional mind where we gather information through experiences and feelings. Our reasonable mind, where we gather information from logic and fact-based sources. And then we have our wise mind, which is where the two intersect and can inform each other. Without that intersection, you're acting from either the emotional mind or the reasonable mind, and you're going to be suffering in in some way, either because your only way to navigate the world is emotionally, which is messy and hurtful, and it's going to be really hard to manage, or because your only way to navigate the world is rooted in logic, which cuts you off from emotional experience and connection with other people. So you can see there, actually, even in that that DBT, three states of mind, that emotional mind would be equivalent to the feminine and the reasonable mind would be be equivalent to the masculine. And the wise mind is the thing that I've been rallying for for years, which is mutual respect for both and recognizing how they can support each other rather than compete with each other for world domination. (laughs) Seems simple enough, right? And so also somebody who is unable to fact check emotional responses. Um, Okay, so here's an example. So like for anxiety, I had a client some time ago who struggled with anxiety and she would catastrophize everything. And I practiced a DBT technique with her called checking the facts. And I would coach her through it and I would have hardly any success with her. And she also happened to struggle with codependent tendencies, too. And so one day she came into session and she was talking about conflict between two members of her family, neither one of which was her. And now she felt obligated to step in and mediate it, but she really didn't want to. She just felt the obligation to. So she felt overwhelmed and there was a lot of anxiety, which she attributed to the conflict itself. She thought that the fact that these two people in her family were fighting was the thing that was creating anxiety for her. But what we discovered was it was actually a reaction to the responsibility that she convinced herself she had in the conflict that was creating the anxiety for her. And so she said, she said to me, she said, everybody always expects me to step in, immediate these kinds of things. And I asked her one simple question. (laughs) I said, do they? And she said, well, maybe not always, but everyone usually expects it. Well, maybe not everyone, but most of them expect it. Well, actually, a few of my family members have already told me that it was not my job to mediate. So I guess it's only a few people. And I guess I don't even really have any evidence to know for sure that they actually do expect that from me. (laughs) And I was I'm just sitting there listening to her and I was just blown away because she was on autopilot. Just fact checking the shit out of all of the assumptions that her anxiety had made about what other people wanted and expected from her and the pressure that she felt to provide it, suddenly her emotions were not leading the charge anymore, making up fake news to trick her into the role that she no longer wanted to play. By fact-checking, she was asking her healthy masculine to step in and provide some rationale. And suddenly her emotions were manageable. She could see clearly. So emotions are, are information, they're important, but they're not the entirety of the situation. And and your emotions are certainly not someone else's reality. Inviting a healthy masculine to add some parameters is going to help you realize that. And I think it's going to help you shift your feminine relationship with emotions from something dark and overwhelming to something that's light and easier to manage. And maybe even easy to enjoy because you don't feel like you are at its mercy. And so in that space... Emotions become safe and they don't become something that we have to condemn or run away from or fight with or give complete power to. So moving on to feminine shadow trait number two, which I've defined as relying on external validation and being easily intimidated. And I put these two together because they really demonstrate how when we are in our feminine shadow we can become urgently reliant on earning permission to exist. When we are stuck in the feminine shadow, our self-image is not great. Because it's a darker manifestation of feminine light, which is about relationship and community, when that healthy manifestation turns dark, it's still about relationship and community, but it's about us being on the outside of it, feeling disconnected from it, not allowed into it, not worth it. And the feminine shadow might convince us that we're a burden to other people. So we may need to seek a lot of validation from others to feel better about ourselves. In the feminine shadow, uh, we're going to be pretty bad at setting boundaries for ourselves. And so we assume that others are too. And therefore, we think anybody that is spending time with us is only doing so because they feel obligated to. Because if they didn't want to be with us, they wouldn't be able to say it because we have no concept of how to set boundaries. And so we just we act on overdrive to try to make that up for them. We're constantly repenting for the space that we take up and the inconvenience that we believe we are to other people. And then in terms of that idea of like being easily intimidated, um, I guess this is a question for if you're on the other side of it. But have you ever gotten angry with somebody and then you ended up apologizing to them? (laughs) So in that situation, a couple of different things could be happening, Um, but it's possible that one or both of you maybe might be acting from the feminine shadow. So if you're the one acting from the feminine shadow, that could imply some codependent behaviors. In other words, if you're angry with somebody and you express it, but you can't maintain your anger because you fear losing them, you might retract it and then you might apologize there might be some feminine shadow stuff there. We're going to talk about codependency in part two of this discussion because it's a big part of the feminine shadow. Uh, but if it's the other person, then your apology may have been what they were seeking from you as a means to an end of the conversation, right? I've used the word violence when it comes to the feminine shadow, and I will elaborate a bit more on that at the end of part two. But for just for some context, masculine violence gets you to put your shield up. It's a punch to the mouth that gets you to raise your fist in front of your face. Feminine violence gets you to put your shield down. It's an enmeshed mother who guilts you into living her unfinished life rather than your own, which gets you to fold in half while you comply with her wishes and lose your own sense of self. Not to be dramatic or anything, but it's a different dynamic. Now, if we are in our feminine shadow, we may fear confrontation so badly that, we are, that when we are So much as questioned for our behavior or challenged for the way we think, we might curl up into a ball and act helplessly. I heard someone once say their mother's battle stance was the fetal position. If you confront her with something, she throws all of her defenses on the ground and says, you're right, I'm a shit person. I guess I can't do anything right. And she crumbles, which then gets you to lower your defenses. And this is the work of the feminine shadow. It's hard to be on the receiving end of that because how do you respond to that? How do you hold someone accountable when they're crumbling in front of you? It's like trying to pick up a kid and they turn their body into dead weight. And that's just how it's meant to work. That is the ultimate defense because it looks like surrendering. But what it actually is, is an invitation for validation. It's an invitation for you to say, sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. Let's not talk about this now. And then no accountability is had ever. And there's a lot of room for compassion for a person who feels so unarmed that they have to protect themselves that way. And I can't pretend I haven't done that to some degree in the past. I think an important thing to remember here is that these actions are usually done unconsciously. We're not putting together some evil plan to enact when company arrives, right? We're just trying to survive a series of uncomfortable moments While managing our connection to other people, which is the thing that we crave the most, but scares us in a lot of ways. And sometimes that just feels terrible for everybody involved. And so we'll move on to feminine shadow trait three, which is passive aggression and guilt. Now, these two fit together because they represent the moves the feminine shadow will use in battle with someone who's not giving them what they want. These are their defense weapon weapons so passive aggression is going to stem from the feminine shadow's inability to establish its own boundary in other words if you're wanting to say no to something but you feel you can't because you believe it is your responsibility to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders which is something that's common in the feminine shadow and again we're going to talk about codependency in the second part of this uh conversation you are you might be pretty passive-aggressive about that. You're going to say yes, but you're not going to want to. So you're going to feel like you don't really have a choice in the situation. And by proxy, if you feel like you don't have a choice in the situation, then you don't feel like you can really assert yourself and express yourself. So your expression is going to come out in maybe like these little remarks here and there. You're going to make some comments, right? You're going to be living in some kind of a passive-aggressive place that feels like the only way to get your frustration out while still being good in doing the thing that you think that you're supposed to do. So passive-aggression can also arise not necessarily from something that you feel obligated to do, but also from how you believe you're supposed to treat other people. So for instance, if you're angry with somebody, but you're in your feminine shadow... Your perceived lack of self-worth might become convinced that you're not allowed to feel angry. You don't get to put that on somebody else. And so it might try to convince you that even though you're angry, it was probably your fault to begin with, so deal with it. And this unexpressed anger won't have anywhere to go. But anger is very energetic, so it's it's it stays alive. It doesn't just fade away. It doesn't say, okay, I'm going to take my ball and go home. It's going to stick around. But with nowhere to go, it's going to ferment within your skin and bones. And then it's going to start to seep out in little ways that will read as passive aggression. Setting boundaries and taking ownership of your anger can help here. But you may need some support Some support doing that work. Because if these are traits that uh, have come up for you a lot in dynamics in relationship, it's because you've been conditioned to do that. And it's it's not as easy as snapping your fingers to undo that, of course. So in part two, uh, I'm going to talk about guilt with regard to codependency and how guilt can be used to change the other person's emotional stance, how it can be used to soften someone else's edges, especially if they're about to assert a boundary, which feels like the ultimate threat to the codependent person. But the feminine shadow will utilize guilt to maintain control over the relationship. And again, by nature of that maneuver, it's hard to defend against it. Have you ever been guilted? into something before i had an italian grandmother so i know it well and it's tough to be made responsible for how somebody else feels right guilt takes on this energy of i feel bad and it's because of something you did so if you if you would just do this other thing i would feel good again and isn't it hard to argue with that when that's coming from somebody that you love you don't want to do something that's going to make them feel bad So you might do whatever it is they want because making them feel good seems like the best option. But we forget in those exchanges sometimes that there's a third option beyond making somebody feel good or making somebody feel bad. And that third option is making somebody feel nothing because you're not responsible for how somebody else feels. Give them back their emotional steering wheel and ask them to stop making you somehow responsible for it. Meanwhile... If it might be you that's using passive aggression or guilt to assert yourself in a relationship, it could be time to explore why setting boundaries feels so wrong to you. Why you're not able to say no without feeling like you've let people down. When I talk about codependency in part two, I'll explore a little bit about the wounds where codependency usually grows from. Uh, And I hope that you'll be able to find some self-compassion there while using the insight as a guide in your own work to feel more empowered in your relationships. So we're going to get to codependency on the next, um, in the next episode, this was a lot to take in. (laughs) It was a lot to give too. Uh, And what we're talking about in part two is going to be even more to take in. So in the next episode, we'll finish discussing the feminine shadow traits, including the mother load codependency. And then we will review the, We'll review how the feminine shadow is viewed in in a a on a collective level in a culture that is dominated by the masculine, because I think it's pretty interesting. So let's pause here and you can flip the tape over, which is to say start part two whenever you feel content enough to keep going. And uh, feel free to follow me on Instagram at The Hungry Feminine in the meantime, and I'll catch you on the next episode.